developer, partnership director, podcaster, and founder of the E1B2 Collective, a company working to change the way organizations design, work, and implement the employee experience. So thank you so much for joining us, Anthony, or maybe I should call you AJ. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, let's just let's just go with AJ for a bit. Let's stick with AJ. Fine. Great. Hey, so we'll get into your many job titles and many hats and, and organizations uh, in just a moment. But what we do here on the podcast is we always start with the same question, and that is, what does happiness mean to you? In uh, what setting? I think there's a couple of different ways I could go with it. So uh, what setting do you feel I can okay, answer? So we leave it quite broad. Uh, some people try and answer it in a work setting, but other people find it easier to kind of go uh, in, like, you know, what is happiness in general? Uh, I'll, I'll give both. Um, so in, in a work setting, I think happiness for me is um, it's just making sure those that I lead as well as myself are in an environment that is uh, contextual. And so what I mean by that is I personally, as a leader, I try to really understand every single person that I interact with, their communication styles, preferences, um, how they want to work, how they want to interact with me, uh, cadences of meetings, um, workflows, all that good stuff. Like I get really, really detailed in trying to understand how they want to experience work um, and how they want to experience the career mapping goals or how they want to experience um, the time and the output that they actually do. Uh, and so like, I just like to curate that entire experience because I think that will give them happiness. And then for myself, I, I, I look for that as well from a work perspective. And then on the personal side, happiness right now is, I think, really just finding finding a groove um, of a balance of, of good communication between mothers, family members, partners, things of that nature, just trying to find a, a really good pattern that, that we all can, can have a really good, healthy relationship in. So that's kind of happening yeah. for me personally right now. Awesome. I hope you got that. Hey, so as we mentioned, you wear many different hats and already in the intro, that was very clear. So what do you consider your, like, what do you consider your main area of, of expertise, concentration? You know, are you that HR leader, a brand developer, a partnership manager, or, you know, do you do all of the things at the same time, actually? Or is there any, is there actually a difference between all of those <laughs> or they're just nuances? Yeah, so I do a lot, you know, so, you know, I, um, you know, so I have a lot of time, you know, doing partnerships and, and structuring those partnerships that can drive sales and that can drive mergers, acquisitions, uh, integrations. I am a thought leader in the space. I am a founder in the space. I am a product guy in the space. So I have a lot of, you know, I'm a strategist in the space as it pertains to, to people's strategy and operations and putting teams together. And so I think, you know, just with the multiple projects that I always have going on at one time, it gives me uh, an ebb and flow of different responsibilities. So some days I'm, a, I'm an advisor, some days I'm a founder, some days I'm internal working for, you know, something from my day-to-day -day perspective on partnerships or sales. Some days I'm trying to recreate product and other days I'm just having one-on-one -on -one meetings and just trying to do the more traditional employee experience thing. So it just really depends on what I'm working on. Yeah. Hey, so what's often the case with people who do so many different things and you already said it, you're a thought leader. Um, like there is, I'm guessing, this overarching goal and professional vision or belief that kind of guides all of these, all of these different parts of it. And for you, that is within employee experience, but maybe a certain type of employee experience. Can you maybe kind of go into that uh, a little bit deeper? Yeah, everything circles around putting employees first. That's like that's literally the core yeah. of everything that I do. <laughs> everything circles around putting employees first, contextualizing the experience, 
um, and then building tools, technology, and resources that can support that overall arching goal. Because I think when people hear putting employees first, they think of, okay, well, we'll have a thoughtful one-on-one, we'll do a pulse meeting, we'll do um, so this is some really high-level light things. We'll talk about their careers, their passions, things of that nature. But from my perspective, I like to try to build technologies, tools, resources, um, strategies that can be baked into the core fabrics of a company where it's not a nice to have. It's not something you have to intentionally think about. It's literally baked into the fabrics of what you do and you're held accountable to it as a leader or the company. It's literally what stands the company upright. So putting employees Mm. first is that centralized focus of everything that I do. Yeah, that's that's very aligned with what we do at Management 3.0, where you know we think that is just the essence of everything, and it starts with that culture, and it's not some kind of afterthought or add-on that you know some CEO can go like, hey, you know, HR would be nice. Exactly. <laughs> Putting something employees first, and exactly. no, that comes from 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 you know that in this should be first nature. So, yeah. Exactly. Hey, so um, you you've obviously written and spoken and worked extensively in the realm of employee experience and, and workplace culture. How did you get interested in into this in the first place? And and why do you feel that this is such a vital part that you kind of put your whole weight behind it and and do all these different things in that in that realm? Yeah, I'll keep that one simple, but it's a long story. I um <laughs> so I I started a company in nineteen and we quickly grew to two hundred full time employees. Awesome. And so, um, as you can imagine, that's really scary, really exciting. You know, being 19, 20, 21, the, the, the financial perks that come with that are obviously pretty exciting. Um, the professional recognition and the, the bragging rights to a certain degree, if you want to look at it that way, are pretty exciting as well. Not a lot of my friends at that time were doing anything close to that. But what they didn't understand, the, the, the scary... The, the, the scary variables of that work, the, the lonely variables of that work, the unknown variables of that work were the, the leadership and people ops partner. And that's frankly, I actually just got off a call with a partner and we're positioning our product to try to get in front of startups and small businesses. And um, that was something I was sharing with her is that, you know, I want to be thoughtful about how we're positioning this product because a lot of startup founders like myself at that time are not taking enough time to learn and develop themselves around leadership and people operations and the strategies that hold those things upright. So they're not taking the time to truly understand how to go about one-on-ones, internal communications, you know, you know, team design, um, creating performance and management processes that actually are equitable, that, that drive motivations. Like founders are not thinking about this leaders. They're thinking about the product, right? (laughs) Yeah. in, In the beginning of that process. So you figure, let's call it zero employees to 500. That comes as an afterthought. And so to, to answer the question directly, I um, as we were you know getting towards 300 employees going into our third year, I made a very crucial mistake and did not have a one-on-one conversation with the most important person of inside the company that was connected to Under Armour, who were our, our product uh, and service integration partners. And frankly, we were getting 95% of our revenue from Under Armour. And so um, after about seven tries of that individual trying to have a one-on-one with myself and seven times me denying that one-on-one and chasing girls or going to the bar, whatever whatever I did at the time, um, he said, well, I'm leaving the company. And I said, whatever, I don't care. And then eventually it dawned on me that I do care and that not only at a humanistic level that I care, um, it actually affected the business. It went to zero. 
Mm. Um, Under Armour left, looked at it as a red flag, and every single partner and employee didn't appreciate the way that I handled that situation. And that was the linchpin. So that's how I got into this space. That taught me you can never make that mistake again. You have to focus all of your energy on righting that wrong. And so that was kind of the beginning of this, this overall journey that I'm on today. That's amazing. And thank you so much for, for sharing that personal yeah, yeah, story. Yeah. And, and, you know, thanks for sharing a mistake. Um, cause I, I think that's where we learn, uh, often the most um, from that. Hey, so is that then when you kind of, you know, you founded E1B2, which is, you know, which you describe as human first collective of brands and practitioners. And that was in 2019. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about what E1B2 means, what it stands for? And, you know, did that come out of that mission of kind of helping people don't make the mistakes that you just made? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of connected to that, but that was, you know, E1B2 later. years later. Yeah. But, um, so after that company, I went on to do some cool things. I went in houses ahead of people. I, I studied mm. very intensely, 45 minutes a day, seven days a week around all this work. Um, and so eventually throughout starting another business, going internal as ahead of people, I eventually found myself having a lot of issues with, I think, the way that traditional HR teams and leaders were approaching the world of work. And as I was ahead of people internally, I, I kept seeing little gaps. So I would see a cap, a gap in like the people analytics and like big data and predictive analytics and how to put teams together and how to recruit better. I, I kept seeing little gaps there. I kept seeing gaps in DEI. I kept seeing gaps in the recruiting communications and employer branding. I kept seeing gaps in internal comms. I kept seeing gaps in um, compensation, and I kept seeing all these little gaps. And so I said to myself. Mm. I don't know where I was, but I was listening to a podcast driving somewhere. I'll never forget it. And there was a, a podcast by Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk, who I think we all know at this point, who mm. everyone knows him for his motivational content. But what people don't know is he actually runs a company called VaynerX. It's a holding company. So he's building the biggest communications holding company in the sector. And I said yeah. to myself, well, why is there not a holding company for the people sector? Because if we all want to put our business caps on for just a a moment, there are so many different verticals of people, right? You have on, on the product and services side, you have internal comms, you have DEI, you have performance management systems, you have HRS systems, recruiting systems. I mean, there's so many. I could just keep going on and on and yeah, on. Yeah. And, and so I said to myself, well, I want to build out something in every single sector. And I started to do that. And so the E1B2 Collective, Employees First, Business Second, that's what that stands for. Um, awesome. That was my goal when I set out. And so uh, my goal was to build a company in every single one of those sectors and do that in a partnership community structure. So um, every time I start a new company, I find partners that are doing that work well. I bring a new twist to how to do it better. And um, I go from an idea to usually 12 to 15 to 50 employees and partners pretty quickly by taking a partnerships approach and bringing a slight little twist that I can bring to what they're already doing well, or sometimes I start from scratch, i.e. beyond brand and some other projects. So that's a nice little roundabout for you. <laughs> yeah, it is. Hey, so up till now, we've been talking a bunch about, you know, employee experience and communication and, and all these kind of sort of, um, yeah, all these things and, and why for you, for example, it was incredibly important how your whole company kind of fell apart after that, AJ. But in your own words, do you want to share with our listeners kind of what for you the tangible benefits are in in kind of adhering to a people first culture and focusing on employee happiness and well-being? Yeah, it grows a bigger business objectively. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not just the altruism, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, gross. Yeah. <laughs> I tell people all the time, let's assume that you don't care. Because, like, some people don't. And that's what I realized. Like, some people... Some people, like, just love their husband or just love their kids or just love their, their spouse or just love their family. Like, some people don't love other people. Like, and, 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 and I know that sounds crazy, but, like, I don't want to say that's okay because I don't believe at a human being level that's okay. But in a business yeah. setting, if you don't <laughs> care about that, like, if, you're, if that is not what drives you, then do it because it literally grows a business. Understand that putting employees first, like, let me give you a practical example. Um... Putting employee first at the beginning of recreating your recruiting structure and systems is a good idea because you'll find better talent. Meaning, if you go to every single employee that you've already recruited and say, how could we have recruited and communicated and supported you better during that hiring process and onboarding process? And you take all that data and you actually go back to your engineers and your teams that have the technology that they, they, they built. And you go back to your CHRO and your leaders and you really sit down and ask yourself, okay, how can we take this data, this these, these insights that are completely from the employees around the people that we just got done hiring and they're giving us this insight of how we could do things better. How can we bake that into how we're going to recreate our recruiting process? That makes a lot of sense because they're literally going to tell you, hey, here's how I probably would have been more excited joining the team. Here's how you could have improved the onboarding process. Here's how you could have made sure that I was more aware of what the actual company was about. And I guarantee the productivity numbers over that 90-day, 120-day window probably yeah. would have went up, which means alignment of teams would have went up which means you probably would have done a lot more work and had a lot more productivity, which is all connected to sales. And so that's a small example, but that's kind of how I think about it. Let's put employees at the center of our strategy first, like just get the employees data first and then get the suits and the ties and the executives and the subject matter experts involved and have them take that data and couple that with their subject matter expertise. That yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so important to get into people's heads. And I sometimes hear, especially now with like, oh, recession coming, we've got to go back to the bottom line and get get rid of all of this people first thing. And I'm like, mm, yeah, but the bottom line is the people first thing because you're yeah. going to, yeah, you're going to, you're going to lose out otherwise. Do you think like, um, you know, there's the biggest challenge for companies to building like, you know, these positive work environments and having these people first environments is sometimes their CEOs or the people that are kind of the gatekeepers of this, or do you see any other big challenges uh, to creating these environments? The big challenges is the timeline and timing. You know, the big challenges, and I just dealt with it recently. The big challenge is if a company of any size is going through a merger, going through an acquisition, doing an org reshuffle, raising new capital, it always seems like Things that are on the more business or product or service side of the business or the marketing side of the business, it usually trumps the people side. And so that's always the biggest, I think, hurdle that we all come come across is that you have to find a company that is not dealing with a, a lot of other things, a psychology of a leader that understands his work, and frankly, a leader at a decision-making level that has been burned that has actually felt what it feels like to not put employees first or not take this mm. work seriously in a previous company that they founded, a previous company they were executive in, whatever it's going to be. Um, and that's a lot of boxes to check. And that's where I think a lot of HR people um, and a lot of people in this space in general 
um, missed the mark. They missed the mark on not understanding how to connect it to pure business results. They missed the mark on not being, not keeping a pulse on what matters to the company right now, right? Like if a company right now, for example, is going through an acquisition, then maybe you tailoring your conversations around um, team alignment and 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 the communications that can support new team members combining. Maybe that's your end to get them to realize that people is a focus, right? You gotta you, you gotta tailor what you're trying to pitch or what you're trying to roll out from a people perspective to what matters to those that are actually driving the business decisions. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, kind of follow up on that because you, you already said you know you're pure, tying it into your pure business results. What I hear a lot um, is that people find it really intangible uh, sometimes, and you know how can you almost quantify some of these. ROI by doing it. Do you want? Do you have any good examples there? As I'd love to, I'd love to hit people sometimes with them. <laughs> yeah, like um, the I think the biggest quant, the, the, I, I think the biggest ROIs that I like to look at, or the KPIs or the OKRs, whatever term you want to throw out. Mm, yeah, I look at um, the the speed in which the speed in which we're able to kind of get teams aligned and 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 move faster. And I connect that to like getting a product out or I connect that to uh, rolling out a new marketing initiative or I connect that to making a tweak that will drive more alignment between a sales team and a marketing team and connect that to an increase of sales overall. Like I, I, I always connect whether it's team alignment, having more authentic communication during recruiting, whether, um, you know, driving more strategic initiatives from internal comms. I always connect it to is this allowing our product, our marketing, our sales, the 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 infrastructure that we believe the company is built is standing on? Does that connect to making those things better and bigger and larger and, and more productive? Because that's what's going to get the attention of, of a CEO. That's what's going to get the attention of those C-suite executives. And so, again, if you can and, and, and really honestly, like, for example, with Beyond Brand, what we essentially do is we we generate more authentic conversations early, mm. early, early in the hiring process. And we give an applicant really detailed information like, hey, this team you're about to join, the leader of that team, this is how they make decisions. Here are the pet peeves yeah. that they have, X, Y, and Z. I don't do that for my health. I do that because when that person comes in, they actually know, hey, the leader is looking for new ideas in these categories. Because we, we tell them that early in the hiring process. So the second they join the company and they're just start rattling off new ideas, the, the team leaders are like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can hit my KPIs, OKRs, I can hit the goals here, I can I can hit our three month our three month sprint goals. And they're like so like dumbfounded, they're like, how did this happen? It's because we pushed all the authentic communications of what you needed early in the process. So again, now you got your goals financially, but it's all connected back to the recruiting and the communications and everything in the beginning. Yeah, and it also makes it better on the the person looking for a new job, right? It's always a two way conversation. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, they also get to assess whether that would be a team that they would want to join and whether that fits their skill set and their culture. I guess. Can, can I be very frank with you? You know, beyond yeah. beyond brand is the is a company that has had success, but it should be. 10, 15 times larger than it is. And I, and I bring that up is because the way you just got it that fast, I've had so many people not get it that fast, right? <laughs> and it's because, and, and I don't know why, actually. I was going to like BS a reason why. I, I don't know why. Um, 
I've always said to my partners, like, Beyond Brand should be a five, ten, fifteen million dollar company, in my objective opinion. I believe every single company in the recruiting team should bake in some sort of version or variation of what we're doing with Beyond Brand. Um, it just makes business sense to like be fully transparent in the beginning around little micro areas of the work so that like your point, yeah. an applicant can say, no, I'm not going to fit well with that decision making framework. That was exactly the, the company and the style that I had previous that I reason why I left not going to work for me. And you want to yeah. know that rather than them being there for six months. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's yeah. Odd. Yeah, I think that's a culture problem, isn't it? That's also corporate corporate America culture problem. I'm guessing. Uh, I think we see that. Le- oh, like, I know that we see that here as well. Yeah. But um, in, in in Europe, uh, FYI, because <laughs> uh, uh, most of the listeners know, but not everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, like definitely that that kind of feeling of oh, we're not even going to disclose the kind of rate of pay and and like, you know why put in all the effort and and why put in all the time. You know, you're you also know, not going to get the best candidates, right? If you're not going to be transparent about it, it's a win-win situation. It's not just for them. If you but, know someone that that really believes what you just said, I'm looking for a, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking for a healthy debate that I can do on my podcast. Mm. I'm looking to bring someone that really believes what I'm saying is not the best way to go about it, or not the most thoughtful way. Because I just want to hear someone. I want to hear yeah. someone. Because like you should see me in sales <laughs> meetings when like someone's like trying to deny something I'm trying to put a, put in front of them, and their reasoning is just so. I'm like, anyway, you're gonna have me start like blacking out and like saying crazy stuff because like, I just don't get it. Like, it's like, hey, it, a lot of the times these things are just because that's how they've been done, and it's yeah, kind of yeah. and people can't actually come up with the arguments, they and they can. just go, they end up getting flustered and be like, hey, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it's supposed to go. Yeah, and that's you know challenging the status quo is what we're all about, and, yeah. and <laughs> that yeah. we want to do as well. Yeah, so. So yeah, hey, you also work uh, at Top Employers Institute, yeah. which also caught my eye uh, when you know doing some research here for for the podcast. We yeah. know for those who don't know, which is a it's a global organization which basically helps organizations assess and improve their workplace environments, right? And you give out certificates and and you give you kind of mark people's you know their their outstanding performance, etc. So do you want to tell us a little bit more of what you do there and do. and what are you like it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you <laughs> ever heard of Top Employers? Is- uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's actually good. Well, that makes a lot of sense because you're global. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of here in the states, we're we're actually trying to work on that from a PR perspective, trying to get more and more people in the states aware. So, in a nutshell, what Top Employers does is, um, to your point, so we we analyze the HR best practices that are occurring or not occurring inside of a company. So, right there from the get go, it separates, in my personal opinion, us and what we're doing from anyone else in the market that I believe is trying to provide a stamp of approval to a company that says we're the best place to work, we're the top employer. A lot of companies, as you know, from an employer branding perspective, they're trying to recruit talent. They're trying to say, hey, come to my company. This is a great company to work. The issue is the best practices, the HR practices that exist at those companies are actually not one of the greatest places to work. It's actually not that good there. And it's because... They're not being challenged. They're not being pushed. And so what Top Employers does very well is they have about 250 questions and an analyzing process where they may go into talent acquisition and they may say, hey, show us your HRI systems. Show us your ETS systems. Show us 
Show us the best practices that you follow as it pertains to hiring communications. Show us that it's equitable. Show us that it's fair. Show us, show us that it's thorough. Show us your career mapping principles. Like literally walk us through the experience that an employee is currently yeah, feeling so- or an applicant would be feeling. And then once they go, they go through that, they get an overall score, 60, 70, 80%. And then that gives them that seal. And then on top of it, there's a benchmarking process where they can analyze the gap. So if they got an 80%, okay, where's a 20%? Where are the things you're not doing so well? And then we provide those thoughtful tips and nuances and advice from that perspective. And then on top of all of that, we're thinking about rolling out an initiative where we're trying to help uh, provide like visual profiles and more deep dive explanations for the applicants coming in via video where the leaders at the company can really articulate some of the core principles of those categories and those questions and really share the the impact um, of being a part of top employers in the seal. And so um, I love the work there. I'm really passionate about it. It fits right there within like that employees first methodology, because mm-hmm. I believe if you really care about employees, then show don't show us as the top employee like show the applicants show the employees show the world that you actually have the hr best practices in-house and 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 stand on what you're saying to the world that you you're doing like if you really are a great place to work or a top employer stand on it show us that like believe in that show the applicants that um and be able to analyze those gaps and and, and improve yourself and be excited for that development and growth so I love the work there, and that's kind of like an overarching breakdown of what of what it does. Yeah. Do you also speak to current employees and people who went through the process but were either not successful or they, I don't know? I just always wonder because with these processes, whether like actual a lot of a lot of employees actually get consulted as well, or is this just an analysis of you know the processes that should in theory then bring these results but maybe sometimes something goes wrong along the lines yeah i mean there are times where we, we we work with clients and they don't they don't qualify and it's because they don't have certain things in house and and those conversations are difficult to have but i think we've had a lot of clients come back to us and say you know we, we may have been a little bit defensive early throughout that process and we were a little disappointed that we weren't able to get the seal but but thank you thank you because Mm. By going through that process, we actually analyzed and looked at our gaps and we, we took your advice and we doubled down on DE&I. We doubled down on internal comms. We, we doubled down on our recruiting best practices and we made some adjustments and tweaks and, and that adjustment and tweak helped us. You know what I mean? So so we have had that happen, but uh, what we're excited about is companies, leaders on those teams, usually a couple weeks after are a little bit more... Uh, appreciative of the process, even if they didn't get the seal, because it identified gaps that they didn't know exist. Yeah, it shouldn't just be a certification process, right? It shouldn't be just ticking boxes. It should be for them as well to reevaluate and think, right? A hundred percent. And like I said, that's the, that's the differentiator. I think that a lot of that that personally, you know, drove me to want to be there is because. Mm. Is actually analyzing. Like we're actually saying, hey, we gotta see this. Like show like yeah. walk us through how you're approaching it. And and right in the middle of that conversation, if someone's not really thoughtful about and D and I strategy, our team members, our HR analyzers, they're gonna know that. Like they're gonna yeah. know what to say. Like, cause that's what they do all day. Like they're gonna know if you've actually thoughtfully put the work in to have a great D and I strategy and how that shows up. So Yeah, absolutely.
Hey, I wondered, um, so one of the things I always like to ask uh, fellow podcasters, so uh, people who are, you know, uh, I get to meet often a lot of podcasters yeah. on the podcast, and I always like to ask them whether, you know, doing this, talking to me, talking to other people all the time on a podcast, whether that kind of has changed your view, whether uh, on, on workplace happiness, whether you've learned much, whether, yeah, you know, just... Do you enjoy it? Does it does it kind of get your brain going? It, it does massively for me. Uh, so yeah. I always like to. <laughs> yeah, no, I kind learn of get intrigued a, with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I learn a lot. I, I I develop a lot of new relationships. I learn, um, you know, I learn what other what other folks are doing. Like for example, you know, I I, I interviewed someone from American Express on the internal comms slash. They work on the, they lead the internal comms slash DNI team. And I realized mm. and, and really respected and learned that American Express is one of the only companies that I've come across so far that has like 45, 50 people on a DNI team exclusively. Wow. I'm, yeah. I've never heard of that. Like, I've never heard of that robust of a team focusing on DNI missions exclusively. And so being on that call or being in that conversation on that podcast, being able to, be able to, being able to unpack what they're doing within that team, the, the systems, the technology, the tools, the outcomes that are occurring within that team, that was intriguing for me. And so, you know, I, I've done like 750 episodes, so I've learned so much throughout that process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. 100%. Hey. Yeah, no, that's I, I just get I just love I get to speak to all these people from across the world about what they're what the cool stuff is that yeah. they're doing and I get to learn from that and share that with our listeners, so it's fantastic. Hey, uh, so here on the podcast, we are uh, super big fans of tangible practices. That's kind of in the DNA of Management 3.0 as well. Uh, things that people can kind of start implementing as soon as they've heard this podcast. Not something super complicated or something that they have to have massive senior buy-in uh, from. And I know we've talked about a few things, but uh, could you offer us any tangible, practical examples, tips? I don't know, anything in that realm for, you know, people embracing or wanting to embrace that people first uh, philosophy? Uh, very uh, a couple things. I'll keep it on like the management side of things. Um, number one, mandate. Don't ask. Mandate. I'm being very serious when I say that word. Mm -hmm. Big uppercase letters. Mandate um, that every single manager of people, small manager of six, manager of five, manager of eight, um, they need to not only know up here but have it in an HRS system, um, their freaking phone notes somewhere. They need to understand the, these three things, the, 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 the workflow slash communication styles of every single team member they have in their team, and they need to adjust to that reality. The career mapping goals and skill development goals that they have of that individual and figure out in detail a way to support them, go to HR, go to other executives, help them curate an IDP plan, an individual development plan. And an individual development plan should not be negative. It should be proactive. I'm tired of seeing companies that have a reactive approach. Because typically, when an IDP is rolled out, someone's about to get fired. It's just like the last, it's the last savior. Like, let's just, no, it needs to be completely reversed. You need to be, yeah. it needs to be a curated, thoughtful, contextual IDP, IDP plan, individual development plan for those that can't spell it out or think about it. But um, <laughs> that needs to be like, Proactive, thoughtfully baked out, uh, co-created with that individual that highlights everything that they're trying to do and where they're trying to go and who they want to be within the company, long-term, short-term, mid-term, um, and the skills that connect to that. And then I would probably say the last thing would be remember that DE&I um, 
needs, I, I'm actually going to give you this tip. This is something I'm thinking about. So what's happening right now is most companies realize that DEI on the recruiting side is going to like be important. Like we need mm. to recruit and have diverse talent. Like I think that's like pretty much a reality. Hopefully getting to a standard. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> But realize that DE&I needs to be baked into every piece of the business, right? So to give you one very simple tip, if how DE&I can be baked into recruiting, for example, could be some of the things that we talked about today. You know, being very thoughtful around being very honest and transparent and inclusive during the communication process in the recruiting stage. So recruiters out there listening, managers that are going to be a part of the, the hiring process listening, after that screen call, so that round one interview, be as detailed and consistent and clear as you can around how you make decisions, your pet peeves, and four to five really crucial small wins that these individuals can capture if they were to be hired and be very, very detailed. Be very, very, very detailed. And allow them to exit themselves through that process because it's not a good fit or allow them to ask better questions so they can lean in. Push aside the more standard processes involved in the hiring process. Push that to round two. And I know it's a little bit backwards, but be more thoughtful and more detailed in round one because it's going to it's going to flush out those that are not a good fit and it's going to attract those that are a good fit. And then you could do more of the traditional checking the boxes so check the boxes in screen, check the boxes in round two, get really deep in round one. Yeah. It's a little bit of yeah, a Yeah, I like that. I really like that. And that is sort of how we try and do. We're recruiting at the moment at Management 3.0, and that's really kind of how we're trying to do this as well. So first round one is basically let's get to know each other. <laughs> but like not just we get to know them, right? They yeah. get to know us and, and and just kind of how we work and how we what we who we are as individuals. So super important. Hey, AJ, so if anybody wants to kind of now listen to your podcast or wants to get in contact with you with any of the things that you do, how can they find you? Probably LinkedIn is the best place. Uh, and then uh, email directly. You can probably email me. Let's do, I've got so many. Let's do Anthony Vaughn. So Anthony <laughs> and then Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-A-N 2015 at gmail.com. That's my personal email. It's probably the best. And then Based off what you're looking to do or trying to collaborate around or just want to talk, I can I can send you in each direction of what I'm working on. Perfect. All right. Great. Uh, thank you so much for this conversation. We've been through all of the uh, all these different sides of employee engagement, but I love how you uh, kind of incorporate that all in, in, in one um you know, neat package that is you, AJ. <laughs> a thousand percent. <laughs> which, is, which is awesome. Yeah. Hey, so thanks again. And yeah, let's let's see what are our paths crossed again in the in the future oh, a thousand percent thank you so much all right awesome